Devora Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Hey, I think this is our sixth class on Bitachon. And if you missed the class, you can find it on a podcast called Accessing Your Best Self. There's two classes there now, the Bitachon class and the class on Shimona Esrei. That should be a Rafua Shalema for Esther Bas Rus and uh, Rifka Gitzel Bas Yehudas and everybody else who needs a Rafua. And um, a little bit more about Bitachon that'll help us get through this time period that we're living in the Bitachon vaccine, until we get the real vaccine, or whatever, maybe this is the real vaccine. But, uh, you know, I have, my, I have my little happy lamp here for the winter, because I have a little bit of seasonal affective disorder. But I'm just laughing, because, you know, here we are giving all these classes on, you know, really how to become a more simcha dika person, to have more tranquility in our life, etc. And it was just so simple as putting on a a little happy lamp next to you, well, wouldn't that be great? But we know that uh, the same letters in the word besimcha are the same letters in the word machshava, right? Besimcha is to do things with joy, and machshava is your thoughts. And of course, that's the hard work. The hard work is really retraining ourselves and, you know, teaching ourselves how to think and thinking in a Jewish way, because these are you know, the ways that Jewish people just naturally thought, and perhaps, you know, maybe our Bubbies and Zadies going back who lived in much, much worse times than we did, were able to pull on these, draw draw on these thoughts that were as close to them as their mother's milk. And I always say, you know, we're a generation that's much more book-learned but it certainly doesn't mean that it's integrated into us in the way that perhaps the Amuna Peshuta, the simple type of Amuna that our ancestors had and carried them through so much. Um, And we're in a situation today where we need to draw upon that too and do the best that we can. So I'm going to start with the idea in Mishlei that says, in all your ways, you should know him. So obviously, we're referring to Hashem. And what does this mean, in all your ways, you should know him? It means you have to remember Hashem, even in the details of your life. So Rabbeinu Yona comments on this verse. He says, you know, people have a split in their head. They know that Hashem runs the world. We can call it cognitive dissonance, Right. That's probably, you know, how he described it. They have a split in their head. And on the one hand, they know that Hashem runs the world and maybe even cares about their world. But they don't really see him as being involved in the details. And you know that I talk about this a lot, right? Getting the parking spot, even getting the top off of the bottle of Tide that you can't remove or the peanut butter jar, you know, actually asking Hashem to help you in these tiny little things and being amazed. Um, But this is the idea that, you know, we have to know that he's involved in the details. So we all know that there's this idea that on Rosh Hashanah, 
Hashem decrees ahead of time every year how much money a person will make. There's a fixed amount of money that each one of us will make on during the year, and that amount is fixed on Rosh Hashanah. But the question is this, what if I work longer hours? What if I decide I'm going to, you know, uh, try and increase my profits? I'm going to make more money this year. Maybe I'm going to win the lottery. I'm going to buy tickets every week. Or I'm just going to win this prize that just came out of nowhere. So the cause and effect way of life is obvious that if I work harder, if I put more hours into to my, you know, in at the office, then obviously I'm going to make more money. So can I change what Hashem has fixed for me on Rosh Hashanah? Well, no. According to this idea, which is, you know, an idea that everybody agrees on, everything has been predetermined on Rosh Hashanah. And like we said in, in previous classes, your classes, your efforts, the efforts that we make are simply paying the tax. The tax that we all have to pay because of the chait of Adam Harishon. Because now we're going to have to work by the sweat of our brow, etc. But the point is, is that Hashem has already determined everything on Rosh Hashanah. So how does this fit in with bitachon, with trusting in Hashem? It's very, very difficult idea to integrate. How does this work with people who are always balancing their checkbooks and know exactly how much money they make? So the answer to this question is that it's the unpredictable aspects of life that will make sure you get what you're supposed to get. And what do I mean by that? It's the dentist. It's the garage, meaning that you thought you made a little bit more money, but if it's not the amount of money that Hashem predetermined on Rosh Hashanah, He will make sure that you lose it at the dentist, right? All of a sudden, you'll have an emergency root canal or that great car that you bought that you figured is like, you know, the best. You find yourself in the garage with it over and over again. Or the washing machine that's, you know, beginning to spill water over onto the floor that was brand new and the best model, etc., etc. Those things where we end up spending money in places that we never thought or could have imagined that we would. And this is how Hashem, so to speak, evens out the score through these unpredictable ways and we lose the money. And basically, we're going to get as much as we're supposed to get, right? We have this idea with the rain, because the rain always represents gashmu. It has the word geshem in it. It always represents the material, physical world. So when God, so to speak, determines on Rosh Hashanah how much rain is going to fall, so there's a certain amount of rain that's going to fall, but God can manipulate throughout the year, depending on one's behavior, or the behavior of Kal Yisrael, because we know that Israel is dependent on rain more so than any other country. And what God will do is, for example, he may take the rain that's plentiful, but make it rain too much, so that it actually destroys the fields. Or it may rain in certain parts of the land where it doesn't need it, right? In the desert, as opposed to 
places where there is vegetation, where agriculture can bloom. So it's not necessarily, it's not that the amount changes, but how it's doled out will change. And again, as a human being, when we say, listen, if I work harder, if I do more, I'm going to make more money. I'm going to trick, I'm going to trick Hashem, so to speak. You know, he said this much, but just you watch. I'm going to make more, right? And again, Hashem figures out how, you know, through unpredictable events, things that are not necessarily things that we expected, that we get what we're supposed to get. Now, sometimes my plan and Hashem's plan diverge, meaning, yes, I want to make more money. I'm going to stay at the, at the uh, office longer. I'm going to, you know, take people on more trips through houses, Marlene, and, and work like crazy because there's a lot of real estate going on now. So I'm going to hop around, as they say. And sometimes Hashem says, yeah, I want you to make that much money. I want you to have it and you're going to keep it. But um, sometimes this doesn't happen. And even though I thought I made extra money, again, I can lose it on doctor bills, God forbid, on robberies, stock market crashes. And what happens then is that we gravitate back to what Hashem had already decided. So this is how we understand this idea that everything is predetermined on Rosh Hashanah. Now, of course, we can always say, well, if everything's predetermined, then why do I have to do anything, right? God knows how much I'm going to make. So I'll just, like we said, maybe Bitachon is saying, listen, I'm just going to sit back and relax. Or, you know what, I'm not going to do that much because it's all predetermined anyway. But of course, we know from our previous classes that we are required to make Hishtadlut. We are required to make what's considered normal efforts. And we're not allowed to just sit back and wait for things to happen. Okay, so let's talk about this now in terms of a wider, a wider lens. So um, the question is, how much control do we have in general in terms of planning? So there's a Gemara in Sanhedrin that says, that thought can ruin things, even when it comes to divrei Torah, okay? And, and this idea of divrei Torah, the words of Torah is saying, even in spiritual matters, a person's thoughts can ruin things. So in Mishlei, which, is, which in English is Proverbs, which Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, the wisest of all people, of all men, wrote. It says there, and we know this, um, you know, from our davening, from, uh, there's a pasuk that says, Rabot machshavot belev ish, ve'atzat Hashem hitakum, that there are many thoughts in the hearts of man. There are many thoughts plans that man makes. The atzas Hashem hitakum, but it's Hashem's plan, so to speak, that will prevail, that will stand. I'll say this again for Patty. Rabot machshavot belev ish. There are many plans that a person makes in their heart. The atzat Hashem hitakum, but it's Hashem's ideas, Hashem's will that will prevail. 
So let's say a person says, I'll do this and this, and that's going to happen for me. And we could put it, take it on a very, you know, simple level. I'm going to go on a diet, right? I'm going on a diet. I've got a simcha. I got to fit into my dress. You know, my daughter once said when she was a teenager and she, I guess, you know, she, she heard people getting ready for simchas and she heard that line, you know, I got to fit into my dress. I got to fit into my dress. So my daughter in her innocence said, I don't understand. Why don't, why don't, why don't people buy dresses that fit them? You know, well, you know, it's, it's a goal, right? We got to fit it to that dress. We got to get skinny for that simcha. So, you know, you can have all kinds of ideas of how you're going to do this. But, you know, I, for people who are big dieters and have had to diet throughout their life, thank God that's not one of my big issues, but I have friends who are like that. And I'm sure you all know people like that. So, you know, they're always making plans in terms of, you know, this new diet and how this, this is what weight I'm going to get to in, in a few months. But there's so many factors that get in the way that can stare a person, take them away from their ability to reach their goals. So, you know, we can even have an idea, again, like anybody who's renovated anything in their house, right? They tell you it's going to be done in a year. You tell yourself it's going to be done three months or five months or whatever time period you give it. And we always know that it's not exactly the way we thought it was going to be. So the truth is, is even in spiritual matters, this Gemara is telling us, a person, let's say, who sits and learns Torah can say, you know, by a certain month, by a certain amount of time, I'm going to have learned a certain number of mesechtas, and uh, it doesn't always happen. So if you're saying, when I plan, I make it happen, and that's how you're thinking in your head, when I plan something, I make it happen, then there's more of a likelihood that things may not work out. And we said this before, it's, it comes back to this foundational idea that the more you include Hashem, the more you trust and rely on this idea that Hashem is the one who is in charge of the results of whatever we do, the more likely it is that he will help you get the results, if they're good for you, obviously, that you desire. So again, the more we trust, the more, so to speak, Hashem can do for us. And I've said this before, you know, that Hashem is your shadow. That if God says, basically, if you trust me this much, but you trust in so many other things much, much more, then your help will come from those other things to the degree that they can help you, right? Your money, your connections, your whatever it is, right? But if you trust in me, more and less in those efforts that you make and you put your trust in the real source of all power then there's more you know it's infinite there's more likelihood that you're tapping into the place where that that you can really be helped so when when are we being tested so each one of us is being tested in this area of bitachon wherever we feel that we're most control, in control of in our lives, okay? The areas where you feel you are most in control, and for each one of us that may be different, 
those are the areas where Hashem is testing your bitachon. For example, and these are, you know, just every day, you know, if I study this much, I'm going to get a great mark. Or if I study this much, I'm going to, I'm going to be able to write my paper. I'll finish the book and I'll write my paper. If I study this much Torah, I'm going to finish this Masechta. So if I, you know, get the right architect, I'm going to have the most beautiful house. If I get the right designer, you know, they're going to finish the job early because that's what they're known for. Whatever it is, whatever it is that we feel we are in control. So the truth is, is if, if God is in the details of our thoughts, if we're saying, you know, a very Jewish expression, God willing, Ezra Hashem, you know, uh, you know, even when it comes to picking out the colors of the walls when you're doing the interior designing reno, or, you know, you're in a store trying to find the right dress and you bring Hashem, in all of your ways know him, right? So the idea is, then Hashem and your mind, so to speak, will be on the same page. Because a plan without Hashem in mind is a plan that may not work. And so that's why we say, I'm planning, but Hashem, I realize it's not completely in my hands, even when, see, when it seems, and this is the tricky part with bitachon, it seems like everything is cause and effect. And the truth is, is al piteva, most things are, right? The world has to operate that way. Otherwise, we would be uncertain about everything. There has to be, you know, if I touch the fire, my hand burns. <laughs> I'm not going to do that again. Right? There is such a thing as cause and effect. But when we're talking about bitachon, we're going above that. And we don't even have to go above that because we know that there are many cases in regular life where cause and effect don't match. Somebody works very hard and they never make it. Right? Another person does very little and they make it bigger. They inherit a, a, a huge Yerusha with very little effort. So we know there's all kinds of things that we, we would say, zelofer right? It's not fair. I love how the Israelis take our words and they think it's Hebrew, okay? And I have arguments with them, you know, whatever. You know, I'm doing this Hebrew reading course. I'm finding more and more of those kind of words um, that whatever they, they just use and they think it's Hebrew. Okay. Um, so, we all know that Zelofer, that, you know, even with these rules of cause and effect, it doesn't always work. So what happens is, and this is the, you know, the Jewish mindset, is when I realize that I don't control the outcome, I'm not in charge of the results, then it's more likely Sorry, when I realize I'm not controlling the outcome, then that idea is telling us that we may be more successful if we put Hashem into the equation while we're doing the hishtadlut, while we're making the efforts. <clears throat> now, even though we all know this, and there are areas of our life, again, where we all say God willing and Bezwas Hashem and, you know, the surgery should go well and the... the uh, <clears throat> The prognosis should be good. We don't think about it in the little tiny aspects of our day. 
And the more we put Hashem into all of those small details of our day, the more we get used to um, the idea that Hashem cares about those small things, that he's with us, that the likelihood of success is, is more likely when Hashem is part of the equation. And when things don't go that way, we're more likely to understand because we've accustomed ourselves to doing this, that it isn't meant to be, and it's not good for us. We're going to talk about that more as we go on. <clears throat> so again, think about in your own life, what areas in my life am I convinced that I control the outcome? Which areas is it harder to remember to put Hashem into the plan? Right? It's like that joke about the guy, you know, who's trying to find a parking spot in Brooklyn. I've said it before, but it's perfect for this idea. Right? And he's circling around and around and around. I only know because I live there. I didn't know that you, have, that you don't wait for a parking spot for someone to pull out because you get honked, right? And you're double parked and you're going to get in trouble. You have to, as my husband taught me, because he'd gone to YU, so he knew a little bit about the streets of New York. And he said, listen, you just keep circling around and circling around and people are pulling out all the time because this is a busy city. This is a big city. So, you know, it's the, it's the story about the guy who has a huge business deal and he's on spilkas and he's trying to get that parking spot to get to that deal on time. And he's going around and around and around. And finally he decides, okay, I, he thinks about God, right? No atheist in a foxhole. <clears throat> and he says, okay, God, listen, you get me this parking spot. I'm telling you, I'm going to go to Minion for the next month, three times a day. And he's still circling around, circling around. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> and then, of course, he starts making the next promise. You know, listen, you know, I, I, you know that mikvah they want to build in my shul? I get this deal and you get me to that appointment. You know, I'm going to give 15%, 15% to that mikvah. Anyway, he's still circling around. And finally, you know, he makes his last promise to God. I don't know. What is it? I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, <clears throat> you know, take all my family to Israel. They've never been there before. We're going to, you know, uh, tour the whole land. And I'm going to, you know, give lots of my money to, to the economy of Israel. Anyway, he can't believe it. But right there in front of that place that he needs to get to, somebody pulls out that instant. And he pulls in. <clears throat> and he's completely overjoyed. And he's running to the appointment up the stairs. And he turns and he says, Listen, God, it's all right. Forget everything I said. I found it myself. Okay? So, you know, it just <clears throat> take, brings home the human, the very humanness of all of us, right? I do it myself, as I've said at other classes. Like, you know, I did it myself. So this is the idea that we want to try and work on. And I think, the areas in our life where it's hard to remember that Hashem has a plan, well, we're living through a pandemic right now, and we know that this has been going on for a long time, <clears throat> and if you listen to the news, you're going to hear all kinds of things, when it's going to end, when it's not going to end, how they're handling it, 
don't handle it that way, do it this way. And it's very confusing. And I think God has made it that way purposefully, together with the fact that we don't really have a handle on it and we really don't have a lot of control on it. We're doing whatever we can. But, you know, during this pandemic, there are people who've responded in a totally non-bitachon way, right? They're so over-anxious and um, overdoing it because, again, they think that their protection comes from their efforts alone. I actually had a funny conversation with somebody who's one of those people, okay? <clears throat> and from the beginning of the pandemic, of course, okay, that wasn't so crazy then. She was wiping down everything. Nothing came into her house without being wiped down. No, you know, no going out of the house. All the groceries were coming to the house. And she was doing everything, <clears throat> you know, to the nth degree. And then, <clears throat> I'm so sorry. <clears throat> Hold on. And then one day I'm talking to her and I said, how are you? And she said, I have a virus. And I said, what are you talking about? You mean you have the virus? She said, no, I don't have the virus, but I have a virus. And I don't understand it. I can't believe it. <laughs> I mean, I'm sick and I've been doing everything. I've been wiping down everything. And this, I said, I know, I know. I said, listen, if Hashem wants, you know, he can make a tiny little germ or whatever it is, fly under your little crack in your front door, okay? And go right up your nose. <laughs> and that's obviously what he did. <clears throat> so, you know, to me, that was just a little internal laugh that I had. Because again, you know, some of us are overdoers. And sometimes we see the results of that, which is that we're not in control. Okay. So areas where we feel we're in control, basically, you know, if you put money in the bank and, you know, you're putting money in every month or whatever, you obviously expect that the, the money, you're going to accrue crap cash, you know, and if you're dieting and eating less than you normally do, you obviously, your plan is that you're going to lose weight. I saw a meme recently, maybe a lot of you got this on your chats that said there are two things that people struggle most with diet and shalom bayit. You see that one? It says there's one solution for both. Keep your mouth shut. Okay. Oh, that was good. <laughs> so we can have a lot of intentions in terms of, you know, the cash that's going to accrue and the diet that's going to get us to our desired weight. And yet, as we know, there's so many circumstances in life that get in our way. So back to the idea of this class, which is we have to realize that we're always in partnership with Hashem, even when it comes to dieting, even when it comes to accruing cash. Because again, we always know that there are these unpredictable circumstances that can, that can impede our well-made plans the best laid plans of mice and men i don't know how that ends but i think my mother used to say that i'm not sure where that's from is it shakespeare i don't know 
Anyway, <clears throat> so who do we learn this from in the Torah? We're going to be reading this Parsha in a couple of weeks. We learn it from Yaakov when he's coming to meet his brother Esav. And Rashi tells us that he prepares for this meeting in three ways. With Doron, he sends gifts ahead of him. With Milchama, he strategizes about how he's going to actually engage in war if he needs to. And thirdly, with Tefillah. And as I've said many times, we think of Tefillah as something that we do when we're desperate. Or certainly that's the way people think of prayer who are not religious, right? They find themselves praying. There's so many stories like that, even of secular Israelis who tell stories about, you know, certain times they've been involved in combat or in a very difficult situation where they saw their life ending. <clears throat> and they surprised themselves when they shouted out, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. They had no idea that just beneath the surface and, you know, deep into their kishkas was that Shema that they may never have uttered in their entire life. So prayer isn't a last resort. For people who understand the centrality of tefillah, prayer is a first resort. And it's considered a viable hishtadlut. It's considered making efforts just like preparing for war and sending gifts to somebody who's angry at you. To also daven that it should be successful, that you should be successful. So although Yaakov made his technical plans, those plans included prayer. That was part of his hishtadlus, putting Hashem into the equation. And this is what we're supposed to do when it comes to our parnasa, and even when it comes to spiritual matters like Torah learning. As we said before, there's a Gemara that says, if you think you're doing it alone, even in Divrei Torah, you've got another thing coming. Okay? So they once asked Rav Chaim Kanievsky, who lives in Bnei Brak, who's el very elderly and considered one of the Gedolei Hador of this generation, a huge Talmud Chacham, and many people go to him for brachas. Somebody once asked him, how much effort should a person make for their financial success? So Rav Chaim Kanievsky smiled, and he answered, you only have to make an effort once a year on Rosh Hashanah. That's all the effort you need. In other words, you know, just daven like crazy on Rosh Hashanah for that fixed amount that Hashem's going to give you, and then sit back and relax. Now, of course, he didn't mean it that way. He was talking about a very high level, right? Somebody who doesn't have to make a lot of gishtadlut to get what they need. And we said, people, the higher level you are on, when it comes to bitachon, very often there's an inverse relationship to how much bitachon you have to make. The higher the level, the less hishtadlut. The lower the level, the more hishtadlut. And it's very hard for a person to know, you know, people can fool themselves, right? By either doing too little or they sell themselves short by doing too much and spending their whole life at the office and then saying at the end of their life, oh my God, I missed my, I missed my kids, I missed my life, right? 
and nobody wrote on my tombstone he made such and such a, amount of money or he ate you know 6543 steaks in the fanciest kosher restaurants in Manhattan you know nobody writes that on anybody's tombstone so The idea here is just that Rav Chaim Kanievsky was driving home the point that Hashem is the one who actually, bottom line, determines everything on Rosh Hashanah. So, of course, again, we have to do, depending on where we are holding on that ladder, we have to do according to our abilities, but we have to always hold the vessel, sorry, uh, break the vessel and hold the wine, as they say, which means we have to somehow straddle this hishtadlut and bitachon, right, at the same time, which seem to be contrary and contradictory. Okay, so back to the simple ideas. Dubbing that the interior designing should go well. You're planning a family simcha, that it should go smoothly every step of the way. And there are even people who will take on a spiritual kabbalah, for the sake of things going well, right? I'm going to put money in the pushka every day because I'm planning something and I want it to go well. So I'm going to up my level of whichever area in your ruchniut that needs upping. I'm going to do this, Hashem, you know, to keep you in mind in this very gashmias material plan that I have so that together we're, we're together on this. Okay, so there's two warning signs that you're forgetting Hashem in your plan. This is from the altar of Kelm. So it's the person, again, who makes too much ishtadlut. And how does he know he's making too much? Because anxiety is being created as he's doing the efforts. He's overly involved in the results. Too many phone calls running to too many professionals, making himself more and more anxious about the situation by overdoing. So that's an easy one to imagine. Now, then there's the opposite. And that's the person, again, who has two little hishtadlus, which also is um, expressing a lack of bitachon. How so? Because this is the person that says, I can't do this. I'm throwing in the towel. I can't handle this. And what they're basically saying is, I can't handle this, and Hashem also can't handle this. You know, Hashem can't help me when it comes to this. This is too much. And so when a person gives into despair, yeush, which is really one of the greatest enemies of spiritual growth, right? There's two major blocks when it comes to spiritual growth. The first is, I'm good enough the way I am, right? It's egocentric. Look how much better and more evolved I am than this this love next to me, right? Or this person who doesn't do anything, right? Look how, look how elevated I am, right? So that's one aspect of the Yetzirah that comes to destroy us when our, in our spiritual growth. Make sure you're friends with everybody who's less than you, and you'll just be fine. Or the opposite is, you know, just, you know, 
why don't you just give up? I mean, you know, you said you weren't going to speak Lushan Hari. You said you were going to do this. You said you didn't do it. Okay, just give it up. Forget about it. So that's despair. That's yeush. And that, of course, is poison. Because that's when we beat ourselves up and we give in to the negative voices in our head that say, you know, you can't do it. You're not going to make it. You'll never be as comparing yourself to others and all of that. So um, let's say uh, an example. Let's say somebody who's involved in community work, who's very motivated to help other people. But there are some people that are just like a bottomless pit. It doesn't matter how much you help them. You get them a job. You give them money. You try to put them on their feet. And they're back again at your door, you know, two months later. And it's really, really frustrating. So there are people who are community people who get very frustrated. And they say, I don't want to help those people at all. It's overwhelming. I'm not going to do anything for them anymore. Or we can have a child, a personal example, a child who has multiple issues. And they've been a drain on us from day one, a test, a challenge, a difficult personality. And we can say to ourselves, you know what, I can't, what can I do already? I've tried everything. I can't do anything. It's a big problem and I give up. So this kind of despair can be a lack of bitachon because you're not being asked to solve all of anybody's problems. That's not what Hashem expects from you. You can do something for them, and the proper mindset is, in matters of hishtadlut, that Hashem can do the rest. Hashem can create the shift. Hashem can make things happen in the other person's mind, in the other person's life, that will collide with what you want to change. You, it's not up to you, but you have to continue to do because by saying, I give up, you're basically saying that um, Hashem is limited. Hashem can't help me. You know, this is one area where even Hashem can't help me. And, um, you know, if you believe Hashem is infinite, and omnipotent, then you have to believe that Hashem can create shifts in other people and cause things to happen without your necessarily having done the job. But we're not supposed to give up doing it. And again, we're not supposed to rely on miracles. So we have to do something. So too little hishtadlus is also a lack of bitachon, right? For example, there are people who are overwhelmed by the future. You know, imagine a family with 10 kids who lives in Israel and they have to marry off all these kids. And my husband always says there are religious families that can hold it together. You know, they live from hand to mouth, but they can hold it together financially until God forbid, well, God forbid if somebody gets sick in the family, like the mother or the father, or when it comes time to marrying off their kids. Right? It's a huge challenge of bitachon because now you need extra funds. And a lot of people in Israel don't live with extra funds. 
You know, living in debt in Israel is the normal way to live. You know, I remember we once had a halacha class on like, you know, how do you live in Israel? And the rabbi, who was an American, was explaining, in Israel, it's normal to live in debt. It's not considered like a busha. Because most of the population does. It's not an embarrassment like it would be here. You know, any upstanding Jewish person doesn't want to live in debt. If you can't afford it, don't buy it. But that is normal. So imagine when all of a sudden you're at that point where you have to marry off your kids. And in Israel, in a lot of communities, that means you have to buy them apartments, right? If you can't buy the kid an apartment or help, nobody's interested in marrying your kid. So you have to do, again, this is a test of bitachon. It's not saying, ugh, forget it, I can't do it. Making yourself sick over it becoming overly anxious over it, overdoing to the point of illness, okay? Um, you have to do something. Like, you know, my husband always jokes with my kids and my grandchildren, you know, your mother is making aliyah. Because this has always been my dream to make aliyah. So like a few years ago, I set up my own bank account and I said, you know, any little extra I get here and there, I'm going to put it in there because that's my hishtadlu for moving to Israel. And, you know, my husband can giggle and laugh at me and say, oh, but do you have $3,000? <laughs> you know, whatever it is, right? But the point of the idea is, is that when you show Hashem through your hishtadlu, as silly as it seems that you want to make an effort towards that, you know, then that's the idea here. Hashem can do anything. Hashem can be your partner in that. So where does my bitacho need strengthening? Just to summarize this. So that's the question to ask yourself. Where are the areas that you never include God? You know, I got this parking spot, God. It's okay. Forget everything I said. Or where are the areas where we give up and we give in to despair? To Yehush. Okay, hopefully I can get through a little bit more. We've got 15 minutes, okay. So now we're going to talk about bitachon on an interpersonal level. How does God being in the picture affect me vis-a-vis -vis other people? So in the Gemara, there's a, there's a Pasuk that says, Which basically means a person cannot take away anything. And this is a very difficult concept to really believe. A person, another person cannot take away anything that is coming to me. Another person cannot affect my destiny unless Hashem allows him to, which means it was planned. A person can't take away my job. They can't affect my social status, my shidduch opportunity unless those things were meant to be taken away. So a lot of our difficulty interpersonal, inter, interpersonally with people is that we feel threatened by other people. Why do we feel threatened? Because we think that they're taking something away from us. And when we understand this, that this is an illusion, and we integrate this idea fully, it leads to better relationships with other people. And of course, it's very much a part of bitachon. It's a side benefit of bitachon.
that when we understand that Hashem gives us exactly what we need and nobody else can take away anything that's coming to me, then we're going to relate to other people differently. It can't be that Hashem meant me to have it and you took it away from me. It just can't be. It doesn't work like that. So in modern psychology, they talk about how society actually conditions us to be in what's called negative interdependence with other people. And what this, is, this negative interdependence means is I need you to fail in order for me to succeed. Okay? I need you to not get the job. I need you to not um, look so good in order for me to look good, in order for me to succeed. So this is based on the idea that there's three modes of relations with others. So the first mode is called independent. This is the person who's like a self-made man, who doesn't rely on anybody, right? I am not dependent on anybody. I don't want anybody to be dependent on me. I don't want to have anybody to thank. I don't have anybody to compete with. And I am the creator of my world. And this is a very extreme type of personality, but this is called the independent type of person. The second one is what I mentioned before, negative interdependence, which is what our society is based on. And that is, I need you to fail so I can succeed. And then there's something called positive interdependence. And this is, I need you to succeed in order for me to succeed. And this is really the Jewish concept of interdependence. That each one of us is dependent and totally a part of each other. That all the Jewish people make up one soul. We are like one soul and one body. So if I take revenge or if I'm upset or if I'm not happy for your success, I'm just hurting myself. And they always give the example of a butcher who's cutting meat and by mistake the knife slips and he cuts his finger on his other hand by mistake. And he's so angry that he takes the knife into his left hand and he makes a gash in his right hand. He says, stupid, idiot, why'd you do that? And the whole idea is how silly that is. Because, again, you're just shooting yourself in your own foot, right? You're, you're pouring the poison and drinking it yourself. The idea is that we're so interdependent that your good is my good. Your failure is my failure. That's the way a, a Yid thinks who's developed their Jewish mind. Rav Noach Weinberg from Eshet Torah, Zichrona um, Libracha, once told uh, Dina Schoonmaker, her husband was working for him at Esh for a while, that he told his Talmidim, you know, you, did, you, did you blow the shofar this year? And they all said, yeah, we did. Did you hear the shofar being blown? Yes, we heard the shofar being blown. And he said, well, your mitzvah's not complete. 
because there's so many Jewish people who didn't hear the show for being blown this year. That's your mission, right? Because there's no way that your mitzvah could be complete if there are so many Jews in the world that not only didn't hear the show for blow, but didn't even know that they're supposed to hear the show for blow. And that was his idea of the interdependence of the Jewish people. Society conditions us to be negatively interdependent. We grow up in a very competitive world, even board games that we play, right? You see that kids, you want to win. You want to be the winner. You don't want to be the loser. When it comes to sports, when it comes to races, it's not enough that I run fast. I need to run faster than you, right? In politics, it's, it's not enough that I got however many votes. If you get five more than me, I'm the loser. You know, I need to be smarter than you because I want to be the valedictorian. Okay, today they've solved that problem by making everybody the valedictorian and everybody wins the race and nobody has self-esteem, right? And there's no uh, gutters when you go bowling or something. I heard Seinfeld said, you know, he took his kid bowling and there's, there's things in the gutters because bowling doesn't include getting it in the gutter anymore because your kid might have a, you know, self-esteem attack if it doesn't hit a pin. You know, we're called the fragile generation. You know, we're so fragile that, you know, we don't want any bones to break in the playground. So all the playgrounds today, everything's made lower, everything's more cushy, because you're not allowed to, to sprain your ankle or break anything, even though physically broken bones are supposedly stronger when they heal, it actually makes you stronger. But that's a, a metaphor for many things. But we still, we are part of a society. We're conditioned to think, uh-oh, she won. She was successful. What does that mean about me? How does this affect me? We worry about good news because that means their success is our failure. There's actually a word for this in German. You probably know it. It's called Schadenfraud. I don't know if I said it well. Schadenfraud? You want to correct me, Terry? Okay, I don't have the accent. Okay, whatever. The point is, is it's, it's a word that means being happy when another person fails. Right? I'm experiencing schadenfreude. Okay, I won't say it again. It's hurting your ears. Okay, so that's why we have to continually review this idea that no one can affect what's coming to me. And it's not that easy. Now, you can see how this bitachon of that nobody can affect me feeds into our self-esteem, and of course it feeds into our jealousy, which some of us are gifted with more of that, and some of us are gifted with less in terms of our home air, right? People are naturally jealous, driven to jealousy, and that's their avoda in life to become less, even a little bit less, and they've reached the spiritual mark that they're meant to, right? Some people are more anxious naturally. Some people are more, have lower self-esteem. Rabbi Avram Tversky, who wrote 31 books, who was a psychiatrist and who was, you know, did incredible things in his life. He talks openly about how he suffered from low self-esteem his whole life. And generally speaking, a lot of extremely highly academic and gifted and talented people can struggle with low self-esteem. 
So um, we're given a homer, but bitachon can help us in so many different areas, right? A person gets up in the morning and feels, wow, I look so pretty today, but then they see somebody who looks better than them. And all of a sudden, you know what? I don't feel so attractive when I see someone else more attractive than me. You know, I got dressed up for the wedding. I was all for pits. You know, I looked great. And then I went and then I saw you-know-who, right? And she looked even better than me or whatever. She took everybody's eyes out at the wedding. You know, she lost 30 pounds. Whoa, whatever it was, I thought I was looking good. So we have this negative interdependence, which is like a seesaw. If they're up, I'm down. And this is an illusion because you're not on a seesaw with them. The one has to retrain us not to be threatened by other people's successes. And what happens is that makes us enjoy life more and it allows us to be non, not as competitive, to be not competitive except to be competitive with myself, right? There's no nobility in feeling superior to another person. True nobility comes in being superior to your previous self. So we're supposed to allow us and this bitachon will allow us to be happy for others because we'll get rid of competition and negativity. So ask yourself this question, in which areas am I triggered by somebody who's taking a piece of my pie? And it's usually in the area that's important to you. It's an area that you care about, that you want to be a success in. You know, let's say I'm a teacher, or I'm a speaker, and I get, you know, 35 people on my class, but I know so-and-so gets 65 people on her class, right? Or, you know, I wanted to be out there being a speaker and going on the JWRP and being the trip leader and speaking on a stage to 500 women, you know, but she does that and I never got there. So the areas that are important to us that we're naturally gifted or talented in that we care about, those are the people that bug us because they've gone further perhaps. They've done more in that area with their life. But the idea is that each one of us has our own pizza pie and nobody can take a slice from it. They're sitting at their table with their pie and it's not like, hey, get your hands off my pie. This is mine. Go get your own. Nobody can take that slice of pizza from your pie, first of all, unless Hashem said, guess what? It's not your piece of pie, right? So that's the idea. So jealousy is based on an illusion because it's not true that anyone is taking anything that belongs to you. She got a job for the summer. She took my job. I was supposed to have that job. So we think of things in cause and effect, but like we said with Bitachon, we should flip it. You were not supposed to get the job and therefore she got it. God already knew you're not getting that job right? You thought that was the guy you were supposed to marry. You were waiting to go out with him. And then lo and behold, you found out that some other girl went out with him. She took your husband. No, you weren't supposed to get that husband. And so she had the date before you, one date before you. It wasn't meant for you. I sent out my job application and I didn't get it. That means I wasn't supposed to get it. Nobody took it away from me. Okay, 
Um, maybe we should stop here and I'll continue next week. Let me just say this last idea. So we all have areas in our lives where we are in a negatively interdependent relationship. So next week we'll continue and we'll talk about how that's not just true in terms of physical, material things, but it's also true in terms of spiritual matters. That we can have a negative interdependence when it comes to other people's spiritual levels, right? There's a good kind of jealousy and there's a bad type of jealousy, which is not rooted in bitachon. Okay. Anyway, does anybody have any questions or anything they want to share with the class? I'm more than happy to unmute you or you can unmute yourselves. Hi, Reese. Nice to see you. Had to go. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for coming on. Love to see you. I came all the way into lockdown. What? You came what? I traveled all the way into a lockdown in Toronto. <laughs> wow. Thanks for coming. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm still in New York. Yeah. You don't have a lockdown in Lawrence anymore? No, no. Thank, thank God. God. Well, everybody gets, their, everybody gets his turn. Right, right. <laughs> we're good. Okay, good thank to you. hear. Glad right to hear that. Good. Thank you for today, Zavara. Thank you. Thank you for joining. Thank you, Zavara. I want to send this class on to anybody. It's on the podcast, Accessing Your Best Self. And the Shimona Asri class is there too. And for anybody who wants to... You're amazing. Thanks, Kim. (laughs) Anybody who wants to sponsor a class, just let me know. Just send a message to devoravale at yahoo.ca. And we can sponsor in, in terms of anything, birthdays, anniversaries. Um, and I'll just put it out there again. I am almost finished a coaching course from the Canadian Coaching Academy, and I need to get a lot of hours. So if anybody would like a free first session, a get-to-know-you session, <laughs> I'm still well, offering well, those. Well, because the price is going to go way up when I get certified. <laughs> so take me while I'm cheap. And let me practice on you. You'll be my guinea pig. Okay. Anyway, uh, thanks again. Have a wonderful week. Good Shabbos. And Good Shabbos. Everybody stay well. Thank you and so much. Thank work you. Work on your telephone muscle. Take Thank that vaccine. I it's the best one we've got. Hi, Kim. You look so nice pretty. Lisa. Oh, look, Thank there's you. Lisa from nice Florida, for those of you who oh know gosh, her. Nice. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. I love you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you. Have a good day. How do I get out of here? And...